Place your advance order now on Amazon for the very first volume of the New Thinking Aloud Dialogue series, Is There Life After Death? Publication date is June 1st. Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is contact with aliens. My guest is Alan Steinfeld, who is host and producer of New Realities on New York City Cable and New Realities on his YouTube channel. He has produced two feature-length documentary films on UFOs, The Hidden Hand, and Calling All Earthlings. He is a board member of the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and he has taught thousands of people remote viewing as shown to him by Russell Targ. He is also a licensed acupuncturist. For the past several years, he has been one of the main MCs at the largest UFO gatherings in the world, Contact in the Desert, near Palm Springs, California. He is author of careers in alternative medicine, and he is a contributor and curator of a collection of essays in Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence. Alan is located out of New York City. Now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Alan. It is such a joy to have you with me today on New Thinking Aloud. It's so exciting to be here because Thinking Aloud with Jeffrey Mishlove has been a huge influence on everything I've been doing as a media person. Jeffrey did it in the 80s, I guess, and I watched those programs and I said, I want to talk to people who have the ability to think outside the box. And that was one of my inspirations. So. We're so happy to have you. He is truly an inspiration, and it's fun to hear that he's inspired you. You've done so much in this area as well. And in particular, you have had your own, would you say, alien or UFO or UAP contact that has led you into these realms of alien contact. Yeah, but even before the contact I had, I'll talk about what that was, I was always obsessed with space, with the stars, with something beyond this world. And, you know, I never felt like I really fit into my family. Very nice people for the most part. Very nice people. And uh, they were just into regular things, which is fine. Watching the baseball game, doing this, going out to barbecue. I mean, all the things that modern America is all about. I wasn't interested in that. I wasn't interested. And maybe it's just me, team sports. I like the individual sports. So I felt like a sort of outsider, um, which is okay. I mean, and I was always interested in knowledge for knowledge's sake. That's one way of putting it. I wanted to know about the nature of existence. I would look up the stars and ask people, what are those things? And, you know, no one seemed to care. And I thought, well, 
there's things out there I, I want to know about. And, you know, not just my family, but most people's worlds, and it's not really a judgment, they live in a very small container of possibilities and, and worldviews. And I'm always trying to push the envelope of discovery, of what's possible, of, 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 of new ideas. That is the most exciting thing to me, a, a new idea and embracing the new. So my program on um, public access was called New Realities, and then it's now all over YouTube. So that's been my search. What is the new unknown awareness? Well, we certainly seem to be a part of something larger than ourselves, and maybe it is, in fact, ourselves. Good point. Yeah, I think we're coming to, well, we're at this threshold of something unknown revealing itself. The UFOs, UAP situation, I'll explain the difference, is a turning point in human history. And as I say in my book, it's not so much about what's out there, it's who we are, right? So your question, your response is about, there's more to the human being. That's why it's so frustrating for me to see people have a very small view of reality because it's so infinite, it's so unknown, it's so full of possibilities that that's where the excitement lies most people's windows on the world are through their little box on their nights, their television. And it's filtered through other people's perceptions of, and in a way it's a mind control, what they were supposed to see. And I say, we have this incredible technology inside of us, this great facility to tap into the unknown, to be creative, to be a non-local consciousness, to actually communicate with beings beyond this realm, interdimensional ghosts, whatever you want to call non-physical beings, there's so much richness to the human drive, to the human input that, um, that people are distracted. The people are taught to live in a very small world. And I was never satisfied with that. Henry David Thoreau said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. When I see that, it's, it's a desperation because they've never been taught that there's more to themselves, there's more to the world, and there's a greater reality that is awaiting our understanding of what's possible. Do you think your awareness of and desire for something greater led to your own alien contact or experience? Well, I don't actually think it led to it. I mean, I have a whole theory about how we're all actually from the stars. I think um, I was aware of some other level of reality. And I mean, I was sort of shocked by my own contact, but I was open mm, to this bigger sense of the world. So um, I don't think it led to, I mean, it's somehow connected to it, but I think, mm, I think it's always been a part of me, that bigger yep. picture. And um, I have to say, having that kind of contact, I could tell the story, was surprising. I mean, it's something 
I thought about something mm, I thought was possible, but when it actually happened, I have to say I was a little freaked out. Yeah. Because it was, it was a classical abduction. No, so classical. It's, I mean, a lot of people's experiences are a lot more involved than mine, but it was enough to say, this is really what I want to pursue. There's a mystery here. I want to understand what happened to me and what's happened to probably hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, Jeffrey's had great people on the show. John Mack, Jacques Vallée, um, I'm sure Whitley Strieber's been on the show, but, um, no one has the whole truth. No one really understands the phenomena. I'm not saying I do, but I wrote my book uh, from multiple perspectives, asking different experts in the field to contribute, like Linda Moultonhound, Whitley Strieber, and uh, uh, unpublished essay by John Mack, all giving a different perspective because we need other ways of understanding the phenomena that transcends the logical, linear um, worldviews that we that basically most of us are locked into or, or trained to develop. So we have to think differently to understand a different reality. And that's, in a way, what's so exciting, even though part of it's a little shocking and maybe even traumatizing to the, to the personality. Mm-hmm. We would love to hear your story. Mine is very sort of, I wouldn't say mundane, but I was just driving cross country with a girlfriend from the West Coast to the East Coast. We were driving for a long time, maybe 12 hours, you know, these long cross country trips on Route 80 uh, that go from the Golden Gate Bridge to the George Washington Bridge is just pretty much a straight road. So we're driving, we got to Western Nebraska. We pulled off the road because we were tired and we just went to sleep. We just, we just sort of passed out. And in the morning, I felt something weird at how I felt just, it felt creepy in that place. You know, it felt like there was a strange sense of reality. And, and one more thing, we woke up in the same position, me and my girlfriend both. And we remember it to this day, it was 30 years ago. We woke up in the same position we fell asleep in as if there was a, I say it in my book, a time mold was made of one frame and we're taken out and there was other sense of reality happening. We're brought back into the same, into the same frame that we're taking out of, even though all this time had, had elapsed. So it wasn't quite missing time. It was a sense of no missing time yet something had happened. So, I mean, maybe if we looked at a clock, but we were sleeping and all that, but so it was a strange sense of reality that happened, but that wasn't the odd thing. The hard thing was when I got back to New York, someone noticed this mark on the back of my leg, this four-pronged puncture mark. And I, I didn't know what that was, although I thought of that moment, that night that we had slept in Western Nebraska. So it was three days or four days later. And um, I thought back that something may have happened there, but I said, nah, but coincidentally, I started to meet a lot of people involved with Bud Hopkins Intruder Foundation. And I asked one of them, what do you think this is? And she says, oh, that's an abduction mark. And, I, and it just kind of freaked me out because 
I didn't really remember an abduction. I just remember that weird sense of a time shift, but it got me, you know, it does two things when you find out you're had these experiences. I mean, it generated a little aversion, obsession response. I think that's, a, that's one response to trauma is the, uh, I'm freaked out. Anyone know everything about this? So those things, that, and that's typical of trauma. So, there is a trauma, and that's part of what I think full-on contact has yet to be made because of the trauma to the personality that people go through. So what have you discovered since that time about that experience? Well, it got, it's, as, as Grant Cameron says in my book, it's, it pulled me down the rabbit hole. I mean, I was interested in this stuff. And like you said, like we said early, I was open to it, but it happened. And then it's like, I want to know everything I can possibly know about the UFO, UAP, ETH, extraterrestrial hypothesis phenomena, because it's a real mystery. It is probably the most challenging intellectual mystery. I mean, it's sort of intellectual, but it's, it's, there's something about it, and the, there's the smartest people I know involved in this research because it really doesn't have an answer. Problems can be solved and the solutions, but this, all the pieces have yet to be put in place. So it was a challenge and a pursuit and, and an obsession. And, and I got to, went to all the conferences, got, hundreds of books on the topic, met the people, which is why I was able to put together this collection of essays, because, you know, you go to enough conferences, you go to lunch, you hang out, you become friends, and then you call them up and say, hey, I'm putting together this book, you want to write an essay? And uh, everyone was very helpful. And um, so what have I learned? I learned that the more we pursue the mystery, I mean, it's not new, the more that the mystery exists. So. Um, and there's something bigger about the human being. This is really what, and maybe that's the reason these ships and beings come in and out of this level of reality to, to show us, to hint to us that there's something more to who we are because it does stimulate that level of awareness. It, it activates. So what's really going on here? And how, and, and I think that's one of the reasons the government doesn't want to come forward because they don't have an answer for what's going on here. They don't know. They're only interested in weapons and, you know, technologies, but there's something about consciousness and maybe non-local consciousness, which we can get into on the next program, that is so key to the phenomena. This is my sense of it. Do you want to share a little bit about your awareness of the non-local consciousness and why it's so key? I think, and this is my whole theory, that we're different. I'll start with this. We're different than the other animals on the planet. We, I mean, this is, we're living in an animal body. It, it eats, it sleeps, it breathes. This is the animal. But the mind, the level of awareness is not what animals are like. Yes, dogs are loving, cats connect with, but they don't build houses and decorate it and make art and wear clothes and 
there's something fundamentally different. And I don't think it's just about the evolution of culture and society. I think we come in, this is my radical theory, we are the extraterrestrial. We are not from this planet. We are from someplace else. Maybe we're from the non-local reality. I mean, I mean, I believe in evolution, but I don't believe that this consciousness, this thing that we are, that we think would evolve from the protoplasm in, you know, warm pools that were struck by lightning started to replicate itself. I mean, I think we descended into form because how else do you explain and the near-death experiences or, or the ability to remote view. There's something about consciousness that we are that is not confined to the body. This is more your brains, which is the hardware, is more like a radio receiver. If you open up the radio, you're not going to find the musicians inside there. This consciousness is the, I think this brain that it contains a consciousness, which may be is surrounded by the consciousness is the most incredible piece of biotech we can ever develop. It is picking up the signal on a soul level of who we really are. And I think this is one of the ways we can start to make contact with these other beings is realizing our equipment, our facility is on par with these other beings. They may be smarter, they may have greater technology, but the essence of the soul, which is who we are basically, is as great as any of the beings we may encounter out there. So when we know we're on equal footing with these other beings, there's nothing to fear about them. They're different, their vibration is different, and so the I think if we can prove non-local consciousness, of course it's been proven, then we realize who we really are. But, you know, the problem is, and this is something Terrence McKenna said, I know Jeffrey had interviewed Terrence McKenna, is culture is not your friend. We've been so conditioned and so dumbed down into a very limited world. And, I, and people see that all around us. And they, they've identified with things instead of the bigger picture. They haven't identified with the infinite consciousness that they are. And so I think we really can't meet the extraterrestrials on the level they exist on. Of course, there's more than one because my feeling is that they know they're infinite or have this capacity, or at least some of them do. And we live in very small boxes. And so part of what I want to do, and of course thinking aloud does that, is to expand our worldview to show we're so much more than our conditioning, our politics, our media, our religion, our education, all those things have put us in boxes. And when we start to realize that we're infinite, we'll be able to meet the others, as I call them, on an even playing field. There are the others, and at the same time, you say that we also are not of this planet. So where do you feel we've come from? There's an explicate order, as David Bohm said, which is the the world we see, and there's an implicate order which connects all, 
all of creation and the visible and the non-visible, the seen and the unseen. Um, so we're from the infinite source of consciousness. We are a fractal of that infinite creation. And that's what is so desperately missing among a lot of people on earth. The fact that they are separate from the infinite source of their being, you know? So where do we come from? We came from, like that movie says, uh, that new movie that won the Academy Awards, everything, everywhere, all at once. We're from there. We're from the infinite source of being. And yes, we take on human forms. We take on incarnational lives here. My feeling on other planets, other star systems, other dimensions, other time frames. That's the remarkable aspect of this non-local infinite consciousness is it becomes localized or the illusion of localization in order to play out experiences that the soul records as wisdom. So we're really incarnated into form from the infinite consciousness to extend the experience of the source. You know, we are in these forms to extend the possibility of creation, the infinite expanded nature of existence. That's the answers where we're from, but it answers for me who we are from everywhere all at once. Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely expands our awareness to possibilities. The reason, if we're from everywhere, if we're from the source, the reason I feel, this is my ex explanation and understanding, we come into form to learn about how infinite we can be. Most people get trapped in emotionality, but the reason we're at such a threshold of expansion with more UFOs appearing in our sky, more personal ET contact is that we're waking up to the fact that there's greater experiences to be had. There's more possibilities to, to be created and that life can really be something joyful. And, and it's too bad most people don't see that. They see only the limited parts, but, but we come into these forms to have experience and the experience evolves our soul. So the more experiences, the more varied experience, the more evolution to consciousness in general. And, and the more, um, I think uplifting humanity can take as a whole. So yes, let's evolve out of the limited dogmatic experiences that keep us trapped in the singularities of emotionality and start to explore the creative potential, which my teacher has said, helps us make known the unknown, the real reason for incarnation. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's to have a job and family and all those things, but the real reason I feel, this is my belief, is to make known the unknown, to increase the potential of creative experience. And when you are the creative essence, when you tap into that creativity, you not only have new experiences, but you're able to share that with other people to give them new experiences. 
that's why I feel the real essence of creativity and one of the reasons for this incarnational world. So we're at a threshold where these beings are stimulating new neural nets of perception so we can evolve our creative potential to the next level of joy, of invention, of uh, freedom. At least that's that's the ideal, whether or not that comes out. That's my optimistic perspective on on what we're really here about, who for. Yeah. You know, and we've been so oppressed, we've been so dumbed down, we've been so enslaved, in a sense, to tyrants and systems and philosophies and religions that we haven't really tapped into this, not only this non-local consciousness, but the creative flow of the infinite through us that is here to give us this greater potential. So just achieving that level of society where we, everyone becomes the creator of their reality, of their art form, of their interactions with existence. That's the level playing field. That's where we were supposed to, or that's where the level ground is that we start to evolve towards the true purpose of incarnation. I mean, it's all the true purpose because it happened. It is what it is. But the higher essence is to live in what some people call fifth dimensional reality where we're all telepathic. We're all, we're all living in joy. You know, joy is our basic, you know, aspect of being. Essentially, you're suggesting that these aliens, extraterrestrials, the others, ourselves, really give us the opportunity to recognize the infinite potential of who we are and how we can continue to expand in our own awareness, in our own creativity, joy, love. And at the same time, it seems that that might also coexist with the universe expanding. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Thank you for getting that part. Thank you for summing it up <laughs> so well. I have to I have to say on the other side of that, and I'm not really a conspiracy person, there are forces that want to keep us under lock and key, under control, under in limitation. I think, though, at this moment in history, there's a phase shift or... A, 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 a freeing of the of the constrictions, the, the the movement out of the matrix, whatever you want to call that. So um, we're at this time where the potential, and we see this in creative technologies, Chat GPT, and other forms. You know, people talk about AI, but it's humans creating this this new aspect of being that our tools they're not here I, I'm, I'm not an AI like saying you know it's awful I say these are tools like Marshall McLuhan said to expand our senses they're not here to entrap us but if we can use technology to make life easier and more joyful then that's what it's here for of course it can be obsessive we get stuck looking at our cell phone for hours and we don't even remember what we looked at right so that's the downside 
And that's been true of technology ever since, you know what the first technology was? It was fire. We could warm ourselves, cook our food, or we can burn our house down, you know? So there's always a double-edged sword to technology. And so we have to be the ones that we are rulers of the technology. We don't let it control us. We control that. So it's that awareness. Technology is a reflection of us. Yes, on our negative and positive sides. But getting back to what you just said, yes, I think there's these forces that are lessening that have been in control of the limited mind when what these ETs now, and of course there's hundreds of different types of ETs, they're waiting for us to grow up. Because you know the most popular pastime for humanity has been tribal warfare. Tribal warfare has been the ongoing pursuit. Doesn't matter what country, what race, what religion, it's all been about war. And, and we're still seeing that. It's not like we're beyond that. It's like, so I think these beings are waiting for us to grow up, to mature, to own the divinity. So we don't worship them as God. So we realize who we are, that we, realize we're equal to these others and that life is joyful. It can be. It can be full of possibilities, miracles, surprises. Um, people fear the unknown. You know why? Because they're projecting what they know onto the unknown. Unknown is full of infinite potential. Everything we have yet to think is in the pursuit of the unknown. So that's really, I feel, the incarnational mission here is pushing the envelope of the known, accessing the unknown, creating more possibilities, expanding into infinite consciousness. So the ETs represent one aspect that we've pushed away. We Governments have buried it. They've lied about it. They've... um conspired about that. They they probably killed people because they didn't want the secret out. But what's the big secret? The big secret is that we have relatives out there that hold the keys to, well, doing away with corporate control. Imagine if there's free energy. We don't need fossil fuels if they ever were fossil fuels, you know. Uh, we don't, we imagine having a little box in your house because I say this because obviously whatever's out there is not filling up their gas tank to get here. So there's a source of energy that threatens the corporate control of energy. Most people are working for energy. They're enslaved. They have a job so they can have enough heat for their house or water or grow their food. So imagine the freedom that we can get if we get a technology that is just a little box in your house, all your energy needs are right there. Yeah. So would that change the world, Emmy? Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, more than extraterrestrials, that would change our nature of reality. That's what I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well said. People are, like you said, conditioned to have various beliefs about themselves, a group of people who they identify with, 
they are for better or worse, sometimes, uh, shared, taught stories about certain religious or spiritual beliefs and various people are at different levels of awareness around the planet. And so then people can easily consider various groups of people to be quote the other and continue to say this group is good or this group is bad. Exactly. People identify with their beliefs. You know, you can't even insult someone's baseball team. People are so identified with their false beliefs or, or their mother or whatever. They, you know, people are identified with these limited forms and they forget the unlimited nature of our existence. And so, we're at this turning point, like I said before, in the history of who we are as human beings, where, where infinite possibilities exist. And when we open our minds to the non-local potential, I think we will start to make more contact. I think, I think they're waiting for us to, to lift our vibration because these beings, this is my interpretation of who these beings are. They are vibrating at a different rate, right? We're at this animal body form and our consciousness is also a vibration. It has infinite potential, but it's, it's set to a very limited vibration based on our cultural upbringing. When we meet these other beings that are vibrating at a higher frequency, it's like trying to get Wi-Fi on an AM radio. We can't connect with it. So, we have the potential to connect, you know, we just turn up the dial, but we're so stuck in our belief, our identities, the things we think we are, our history, our name, our political point of view, that the potential to meet these other beings at their level of frequency is being jammed by the belief systems that uh, have locked us into a limited frequency. I also think there's a, there's a phase interaction. I think this is my theory I've come up with that beings from other star systems, their whatever brains they have vibrate at a frequency that their star kind of um, sets. You know, every star has its own, it's been proven. Every star has its own vibrational frequency and there are billions of stars out there. But when you're, when you're a being from a particular star system, your consciousness is sort of, formatted, let's say, by the star that you, your planet is evolved under. So that is a kind of frequency um, set. And we're coming from a different star system. That's why we can communicate with animals because we're all living on the same planet and the same stars, even though they're totally different levels of consciousness, but there is that animal communication. But when you meet a being from another star system, we have to transcend the ways of seeing that we've been taught and, and start to adjust the frequency of consciousness to who and what they are. I mean, they may lower their frequency, but we also have to raise their frequency, our frequency. And that's where true communication happens. And that's why they appear in dreams and telepathy, because when you're dreaming, you're at a different frequency of consciousness. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something I thought of on my own because I, I was thinking 
when I've had contact and I've had other contacts, why is my reality so distorted? Why does it seem like we're, we're drunk or in this altered state? It's because the altered state is generated by the presence of these beings. Like, have you ever been around really high lamas or saints? You start to have this clarity or the other thing. And have you been around really crazy people? You start to think like them. We're so empathic, but when we're around these beings, we don't yet have the capacity to, to synchronize. So that's a practice that, you know, there's been people who have been able to do it more than others because they've had more experiences. I think, uh, Whitley Strieber is probably one of the more lucid contactees I've met because he meditates twice a day. He's, he's used to shifting that consciousness. So that's one of the, in a way, prerequisites, I feel, of meeting these beings on an even playing field. So that's sort of what I'm developing in my next book. How do you meet the beings? I call it beyond contact. You know, we have making contact and beyond contact. Like, what do you do after you say hello? You know, so beyond contact is how do we really meet the other so we can have a, an exchange of information and experience that doesn't blow our circuits out, that doesn't knock us unconscious because most people go unconscious when they, when they're abducted or meet a being, there's no sense of how to be in the presence of that other. And people like Daryl Anka talk about that. Daryl Anka, if you know who he is, a channel for Bashar. Oh yeah. And he's been in this relationship with this extraterrestrial for 30 years. And yet when he said he had a dream of Bashar, he felt like as if his everything he knew about himself was being sucked out of him. He was losing his identification with the self, but the identification of the self is with the self we think we are. You know, it's with the, it's with the false personalities. We're not our personality. So we have to transcend the personality and then meet these beings from that transcendent state. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And it sounds, uh, incredibly plausible. At the same time, there are those listening who might be very intrigued to have these experiences. Some listening maybe have had their own experiences. And then you on the continuum, there are those who are probably quite fearful of it based on stories they've heard, or like you say, the fear of the unknown, Right. where you're saying also resides our infinite potential. So how do we make sense of all of that? Well, there is a continuum. There's people who've had incredible non-traumatic uh, contact with uplifting. They, I mean, I haven't had those, but I'm sure there are people that have. They meet beings and all, and it's full of joy and love. I mean, no, I don't think I've had felt that. I mean, I, I, I maybe felt more fear. So how do we get over it? It's by facing the fear. That's the key aspect of this next phase of interaction. We have to face our fears of being taken over, of being, you know, essentially we've already been controlled by aliens in a sense. I mean, the Archon, that's a whole other theory I have. Yeah, I would love to hear that. So whatever you want to share about that. You know about the Archons? You know who the Archons were? I've heard of them, but I don't know it to the level you do. 
Well, I don't really know it as much as I should, but there are beings that the Gnostics talk about and some of the Native Americans. And have you ever interviewed uh, Paul Levy? Paul Levy has been on the program. Yep, Jeff's interviewed him a few times. Watiko, Watiko, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just interviewed uh, Kate Montana about cracking the matrix and facing evil as well. Yeah, I don't know if it's evil, but I think there are these beings that live off of our emotionality. They're archons, and some people say they come from another star system. They feed off of high-intensity emotion. That's their food. And their job to keep us alive is to emanate the fear, the trauma, the guilt, the shame, all that, because that intensity of vibration on that human emotionality level feeds these other beings and that's the matrix. So we have to free ourselves from these heavy emotionalities that, uh, that run our lives and that, and free ourselves from the archonic matrix or what all these people, Kate Montana, she sounds interesting. I like, cause I'm actually writing about all the, the mind parasites is another way of putting it. Because my theory is people are afraid of UFOs, ETs coming and taking over their lives. On another level, they've already done that. They're already running our lives. I mean, that's in contradiction to what I said before, that we're here for joy and prosperity and all that because these other beings are waiting for us. But the archonic beings are controlling the matrix and joy and possibilities exist beyond that matrix control. So, because we're not living in our natural state. We're disconnected from nature. We're disconnected and nature. Why do you think people are so, I, I say this sometimes, so obsessed with having little, they're obsessed with two things if they're living in the city, sex and little dogs. And that's all because that reminds them, of, brings them back to nature. And most people live in cities. We're disconnected from the natural world. Well, it brings us pleasure. Does it? What? Uh, sex and yeah. Well, I mean, that's why people are, I mean, I'm guessing that's why people are obsessed with those things. No, I say they're obsessed with those things because they're disconnected from nature itself. I hear, no, I do hear what you're saying. And those things do give us pleasure because they're natural. Right. Your little dog, sex, it's all about, yes, but, but that's a, a substitute or an obsession for what we're lacking. All those things are great. It's great to have a little puppy dog you can sit on your lap for days and all that. I'm not judging it. Well, maybe a little bit, but you know, um, but if we were more connected to the natural world, things would be more in balance. That's what I'm saying. And the archonic takeover, whatever you want to call it, the matrix, uh, you know, Watiko, I mean, Paul Levy thinks it's a, it's a fabricated, uh, something from our own mind. I think it's a really an outside force. That's where I disagree with him. Kate Montana would agree with you on that. She believes it's an outside force as well. Mm -hmm. I do think it's an outside force and, and we're freeing ourselves from that matrix control and these other beings are here. Not to, you know, that story about a chicken. If you let, if you help a chicken hatch out of the egg, it won't be strong enough to live. Well, that's the situation. 
So it's not about a non-interference clause, because I think there's been lots of interference going on. But I think we have to rise to our own sense of greater being if we're going to be on that equal playing field with the other. They're not showing up on the White House lawn, you know, which is the cliche, although I did see a great cartoon about it where the, where ship did, did land on the White House lawn. The president comes out or whoever comes out and they, and the ET say to him, well, we'll come back another time. I, I see this is not a good time to make contact. So we'll, we'll be back when it's more. <laughs> but anyway, so they're not showing up to help us out of our mess because basically we've created the mess we're in. We've polluted the planet. We've, um, we, we're, we're, I, I mean, I, I think the earth will go on, but we are, um, we're really ruining the paradise that we've been given, which is fantastic. I mean, good planets are hard to find and this is, this is <laughs> one of the best. It is. So, um, so yeah, there's this matrix of our conic takeover, but you know, it's like, uh, gravity. It's like stress creates strong bones. So we, pushing against that, finding our freedom, waking up to the higher consciousness, living in peace and joy, meeting the others. This is not a fantasy. This is something that the world is at threshold of embracing, I feel. Maybe it'll be next year or 100 years or whatever. But we're at the place, idealist, ideally, where we're about to shift the nature of reality as we know it. And why do you say that, Alan? Well, because more people are tuning into into remote viewing, non-local reality. More people are waking up to spirituality. They're getting rid of their religious dogma. More, um, there's more of a unity consciousness. The internet has pulled us together in a good way. You know, that's a good use of technology. There are no borders anymore. The last three years, you know, you couldn't stop a virus at a border and ask for its papers. You know, we are one planet, one humanity, not trying to all be the same. I think ethnicity, ethnicity, cultures are great. We're not here to be a, a uniform monoculture, cultures, the variation of human experience is so valuable for all of us, you know, just traveling to different countries and expansion of mind. So we're here to keep our differences and come together as a planetary civilization. So this is in the end of my book. Bruce Lipton says, I, I put him in the epilogue, that... Um, we're not humans until we create humanity. We're like all cells in the body of humanity. If we start to work together in coherence, in coherent fashion, where we all realize we all are so unique and have our own unique vision and function here, and we all recognize each other as equal parts of this bigger organism, and we all function because of our own uniqueness in harmony with other uniquenesses, your talent, my talent, we recognize that then we build the greater coherent superorganism called humanity. Then we speak with a oneness of consciousness, what Bruce Lipton calls the synergy of awareness. This is what I, I learned this from Bruce Lipton. 
So before there were multicellular organisms, there were single cells. Single cells could only see part of the environment. They would only have enough receptor sites to see a limited part of the environment. But when two cells came together, it doubled their capacity for awareness and awareness was survival. It meant survival. So you had these two cells and they say to each other, you look that way, I look that way, but they were still separate cells. When something magical happens, when the cells come together and they form a coherence of consciousness, so they're no longer you look that way and I look that way. There's no longer me and you. There's an us. That us is a level of consciousness. Humans coming together in a coherent fashion form a unity of consciousness that speak with the synergy of awareness as a one voice, which is the next level of a superorganism that then is ready to speak with the onenesses, the one voice of other planetary civilizations to form an even greater superorganism of our planet, their planet, because, and then when we form that synergy of awareness between civilizations, extraterrestrial civilization, that is the next level of superorganism that's functioning in an even more coherent fashion. And it, it goes on exponentially. Yeah. And then we can travel. We can have interstellar and intergalactic travel. Yes. Because we're, we're part of this same organized field of awareness. We're part of the same thing. We're part of the implicate order. As David Bohm would say. In your most recent book, you have 11 essays and a foreword with George Norrie. You speak with, uh, Nick Pope, who worked with as a civilian employee of the UK for 21 years. You have Grant Cameron, who has a theory of wow, JJ Hertak and Desiree Hertak, uh, who talk about beam me up spot, Scotty and, and teleportation, Linda Moulton Howe, and the contact of the implicate order, Johnny Mack about abductions, and an essay that hasn't been published before, Whitley Strieber, yourself, Henrietta Weeks, and Daryl Anka, Mary Bradwell, and also you have Carolyn Corey. So, and of course you mentioned Bruce Lipton. So among all of these amazing people who are experts in this field, do you feel there is a common thread among what they offer? Because I, I understand that you brought these essays together to give different perspectives, but is there some commonality or what do you make of these various perspectives? First, I want to go over, um, you laid out the book, really. I mean, that's the book. And I go from the external to the internal. I go from people like Nick Pope who are just interested in government cover-ups and technology. That's the explicate order. And then we start to go deeper with uh, levels and levels of consciousness. So I go from the investigators, which just the facts, to researchers that are looking at the interface, John Mack, Lynn Walton Howe, between the phenomena, we can just call it the phenomena, and human consciousness. And they go to people who are just interested in levels of conscious interaction with these beings. So it goes from the exterior to the interior, from the exo to the esoteric. And so it's an arc. The book makes an arc of um, 
for the reader to go deeper into their own awareness. That's basically what I'm saying here. Mm -hmm. So you laid out the book from the first chapter, Nick Pope, which really talks about the external concerns of the phenomena, government cover-ups and use of technology. That's great to know. And that's the perspective many people have. But then I start to go deeper into what's the interface between UFOs and the individual. And Grant Cameron in the second chapter says, if you've seen a UFO, you are part of the phenomena. There are no innocent bystanders. It's like, you know, so this phenomena now is increasing and millions of people, hundreds of millions of people around the world are seeing things and that's seeing things because something in their awareness is being stimulated to a greater level of consciousness. And then we go deeper into the book. What's this interface between consciousness and the phenomena? How is that changing people? And John Mack is a great example of someone, even though he wrote that essay 20 years ago and I was able to get it from the archives, he says things are applicable right now in understanding the phenomena. He's saying we need other ways of knowing that are non-linear and in a sense non-logical to the left brain awareness if we're going to understand this phenomenon. If we're going to interface with it. We need more like understanding the quantum field. So we go from this external to this internal awareness. Then you go to people like Carolyn Corey at the end, who I think is probably the closest thing to an ET I've met in human form, where she's actually had face-to-face. And those beings are very uplifting and very evolutionary. The thread, I would say, out of 10 out of the 11 essays, people talk about telepathy. That is a given fact. And the thread is that there's an evolutionary impulse about this interaction with the phenomena. It is here to make us greater than who we've been. It's here to free the human mind to consider something beyond its limited matrix world. And that's a bigger matrix, but it's some freedom somehow even though it's traumatizing to the personality and it has been for many people, it's, there's a stimulation of, of higher thought that we need to move out of the mess we've created for ourselves. So the through line is that the potential for a greater world is at our doorstep. And will we become those beings? It's up to us. And, very, you know, we're at this major turning point, and I th- I'm very positive about the future. I think we we will free ourselves from the matrix. We will develop um, the awareness that we already are non-local. That these are just receivers of thought, like sending and receiving. We will become part of the greater humanity, if we want to call it humanity, the greater. Um, system of of conscious beings. We will wake up to the infinite nature of our own divinity. That's what I get from this book. That's beautiful. Do you feel that it's necessary to have contact with these others in order for us to reach that divinity? No, that's a really good question. Of course, there's been people waking up all the time, but we are at such a critical state that we need 
I think, an outside stimulus to wake us up, to start. I mean, it's up to people to wake up or not. They can go into fear or can say, maybe there's something here that is more than my limited mind has been showing me. Maybe I'll step into the unknown and embrace possibility. So we don't need that, but we are, I think a bigger picture on another level that the vibe, something shifting in our 3D reality in general, this is just my feeling. And we're at a point where we need to realize who we are because this, the 3D as we've known it is sort of folding in on itself. That's just my feeling. So we're at this point in history, which is probably one of the most exciting points that has existed, where we can actually think beyond our limitations. And, and I think this stimuli, this outside stimuli is part of the factors that are here because it's not working. We, like I said, we have destroyed destroying our planet, we're wiping out species, we're polluting our atmosphere, we're poisoning our water, we're being suffocated by plastic, we're, you know, living off of technology. You realize fossil fuel is based on Newtonian physics, which is 400 years old. Newtonian physics is you put an energy out that way, it propels it this way. There has to be other propulsion systems that these ships are obviously using that's not based on Newtonian physics. Yes, there's quantum physics, but we don't really know what that is. You know, um, um, Richard Feynman says, if you think you understand quantum physics, you probably don't. Because, <laughs> no, because it's, it's, it's an in-between factor. It's, it's not really in place. Yes, there's non-locality, there's entanglement, but what's the application of that? This is what we can learn from these other beings that are obviously using other propulsion systems that very seem very much quantum in nature. So there's a lot to learn and we don't need them to wake up, but maybe at this point, the, as I like to say, the shift is hitting the fan. <laughs> we can use all the help we can get. <laughs> exactly. And we are, um, yeah, we're reached, we're down, we're coming down to the wire. I mean, it's a desperate situation in some ways. Yeah. So, yes, we don't need them, but we haven't been able to do it all on our own. Some people have. There's been Buddhas and Jesuses and other avatars, but for the most part, people are really attached to their baseball team. Or, I mean, they're identical. <laughs> What would you suggest to someone who would like to have contact with these beings? Thank you. Well, first be open to the possibility that something exists and start to um, get out of your own way. Start to, I think meditation is great. I think going in, because what I discovered as a hyperactive child is that when you close your eyes, there's this infinite nature inside of us that's equal to the infinite world outside of us. So going in is part of going out. I mean, so I suggest that we start to familiarize ourselves with the potential of consciousness. You know, I've interviewed Deepak Chopra a lot of times and he says, oh, it's all consciousness. ETs, it's all. 
And I say, no, Deepak, what is the application of consciousness? What is the application of the non-local mind that we're capable, that we have? So it's not just that we're all consciousness. That's spirituality 101, and that's great. How do we use consciousness to create the realities that we want to create and start to venture into the unknown? That is the threshold we're at. And that's where creativity comes in because creativity is the downloading of this open system that we're in. You know, another thing about Newtonian science is that it says where systems wind down in a closed system. We live in a closed system and, and it goes from complexity to simplicity, but we are in an open system which goes from simplicity to greater complexity. And we're living in greater, greater complexity because we're being fed by the infinite source of the unknown or whatever you want to call it, because we're not limited and we're not living in a closed universe. We're living in a universe, the flow, the Tao that's ongoing forever. And we're actually a part of that. We're not separate from that. Throughout humanity, there have been various practices that sometimes are referred to as spiritual or religious practices. Where do you feel the interface is with angels, gods, God, um, other beings, guardian angels, spirit beings? Um, even when we lose a loved one physically, where do you feel that interface is between that and what we're talking about here today with this phenomena? Thank you. That's a really good question. And I think this 3D world is the simplest of all. And there's many, many levels of consciousness. And like I said before, frequencies. So yeah, people pass over. They're at a certain frequency, depending on the life they lived. And then there's masters, there's angels, there's ETs. I'd say ETs are more physical than those other realms. So there's levels and levels of consciousness at different frequencies of development, and they're all right outside the visible realm. But people do see them. People who develop higher levels of functionality and consciousness are able to see into those realms. I've been able to see into those realms. I've been able to see psychic levels, auras. So we live in a quite a complex field of of possibility, of perceptions, of beings, of consciousness. These ETs are right here, right in front of us. You know, we're just not programmed to see those levels of reality, but they're right here. They're right around us. The angels are right here. I mean, did you ever interview Lorna Byrne? I did interview Lorna Byrne. Yes, we had a great conversation about talking to angels with her latest book that's been reissued, Angels in My Hair. That's a great book. And Lorna is a remarkable being. I really enjoy. She lives at another level of existence where she sees these presences. So, you know, there are these beings. I don't know. You can call them angels. You can call them interdimensionals. Whatever name you give them, we are capable. That's part of the shift of who we are of who we, the potential is to see and meet these other beings, to be open to them, to welcome them, to welcome the ETs, to welcome those angelic, to welcome the higher dimensional beings, because 
We are them. Maybe they're an aspect of the greater consciousness, but they're, it's all for us. We're a fractal of the infinite mind. So all those levels, you know, uh, we have to make room for, you know, time travelers, space travelers, dimensional voyagers, you know, ourselves on multiple levels of reality. We have to get out of the simplistic view we have of ourselves and welcome the aspects of of this great mind that we have yet to really apply to this multi-dimensional existence that we are really a part of what what's deja vu except you know you're feeling as if wow i've experienced this before well maybe you have in a parallel timeline or in dream state it's like We've been taught so much to doubt our own mind. Psychology, of course, has done us a great service, but it's done us a great disservice in distrusting our consciousness. So if you're hearing a voice, or if it's what the Aborigines taught me, when you're falling asleep, you start to see visions of things. And it's not just your own psychology that's creating it. You're in the dream time which is their religion. They don't have a religion, the Aborigine. It's dream time. It's in this non-local awareness about the flow of forever that's coming into their consciousness flow. That's their religion. I put it in, in those terms. But so infinite consciousness is our destiny. And when we start to hear things or people start to channel or they start to have vision, don't trust who you are. Most people are not crazy. There are crazy people out there who hear voices, but you know, if you can, you can tell the difference between someone who's really sincere and someone who's, um, you know, really hearing crazy voices because, and maybe those people are just hearing another level of dark realities. I don't know, but, um, but there's so much more as possible. That's really my message here. Of course, ETs are big part of that, whatever they are, whatever planet, but who we are is the other half of that potential that exists for, for the greater humanity that I think is coming to this planet. The Aquarian age, as some have called it, the golden age, the divine time, the Satya Yuga or the, um, uh, the, but something is going on here, and I think it's very exciting. Since you have spoken with and are friends with many of the world experts, including yourself, on this topic, what do you say about those who think that the governments are covering up more information that they really do have on this topic? Yes, absolutely. The government... The government's like the church, you know, when um, Copernicus, Galileo said, you know, this is not the center of the universe. There's other things. They were put in jail or confined and, you know, or so the government is like, no, don't tell them there's something more out there. We're keeping these secrets to ourselves. We're keeping the technology, the development to ourselves. You don't want to scare people. We don't want to threaten national security. Those are all lies to keep the power and the focus on them. So yes, the government absolutely is covering up whatever they know, which might not be as much as we think they know. There are crash retrievals. That's been out in the New York Times. Eric Davis, if you've been following the disclosure movement, Eric Davis 
briefed Congress on crash retrievals that we have in our possession. Reverse engineer, he didn't say this, at, at Area 51 and S4. So yes, they're covering up because first of all, we don't understand their technology. We don't know how to explain it to the people. We don't know how to say we have a billion dollar defense budget, but we can't protect ourselves against these UAPs. So they're covering up their own um, shortcomings. That's really a problem. Of course, there's probably, like I said earlier, some corporate political alliances where, you know, the fossil fuel companies own the politicians that don't let them really speak freely. So there's so much going on in that cover up that, um, that's the bigger problem. The forget the aliens. It's the government that is really in the way of higher knowledge. Of course, the aliens could show up, but I think, you know, in my book, I say there's an offensive and there's the defense. The defense is the defense department, the offense that we're, and we're in the middle, the offense and the defense, you know, the offense are the beings coming or showing up or appearing and disappearing. And, and so they're doing that. I think this is my opinion to get us used to, Oh yeah. There's UFOs there. Yeah. You know, Schopenhauer says truth passes through three stages. You know Arthur Schopenhauer, the German philosopher. First it's denied, then it's ridiculed, then it's accepted as self-evident. Well, we're coming out of the ridicule phase, but we're not ready for the self-evident phase. But that is coming. The more things are leaked by the government. So yeah, the government's coming up, but I think there's a real intense power struggle within those forces that are that are struggling to to keep I mean Louis Alessandro is one of those people stuck in the middle um who else uh Chris Mellon um Hal Putoff these are people as close to the inside as has been visible there's the invisible college that no one knows who's making those decisions and it's still happening if you look at the last uh, press conference by Kristen Gillibrand, she says, why isn't there more money coming to this department you created for UFO, UAP investigation? And the guy in Congress said, well, we'll check on that. So it's an ongoing battle. It is a battle to get truth. And I think like the church, the government is the official um, recognizers of reality. So when the government says, guess what? We have company, you know, then it'll be real for a lot of people. Or the New York Times says, we are not alone in the universe. This is what Linda Moulton Howe is always pushing for. And so when that headline comes out, that is a, the clutch going down and we're, you know, shifting into fourth gear. Maybe the clutch is down and we haven't shifted yet, but we are shifting. And so these struggles with invest really great invest really intelligent people looking at the most complex problem to ever face human civilization. That's why, you know, in macrobiotics and in Zen, they say the bigger the front, the bigger the back. The more you have to hide, the more there is hidden. So what's about to be uncovered is a huge fountain of knowledge of, of technologies, of, of awakening, of human civilization. 
coming to the level, and I've said this before a couple of times in the interview, that we were supposed to be at when we decided to incarnate here mm-hmm. or the potential of, you know, of, of where we could be. Do you think the government is more tipping in wanting to collect the technology and get more information rather than, quote, trying to protect us? Well, I think the government definitely has their own reasons for it. And they always use the excuse for national security. And obviously, there's really has not been a threat. Yes, there's been UFOs, UAPs flying close to craft, but it doesn't seem like they have really threatened our national security. So, and I've, and Louis Alessandro, he's a blower government insider. He's as close to the disclosure that um, some people say he's creating a false narrative. I don't think, so. I mean, maybe on some level, but he was on 60 Minutes, right? And Bill Whitaker, one of the interviewers said to him, so are UFOs real? Uh, meaning off world being, and he says, Come on, Bill. The government has already admitted that UFOs exist. They've already admitted there are things here that are not from any other country. So that's phase one of disclosure. That's phase one. They have yet to say the A word, the alien word. They don't say that. The the most, the closest they've come to saying something is that, oh, yeah, these might be ships or craft from other they're craft from no other country that we know of. They won't say off-world, but they will say there's no country we can think of that would create this craft. That, this is the big uh, nexus point we're at. You know, so Obama's gotten so close to saying in, in the, some interview, well, there are things out there that we don't understand and we can't explain. Or, you know... We're close to it, but it's still like that. We're not going to tell them there's life on other worlds because that would mean we're not the top of the food chain. We're not the smartest guys in the room. And, and I say, well, yeah, great. Let's see what we can learn from the smartest guys in the room. And they say, so it's a huge fabrication. And there is a breakdown within that system that is freeing us to know more. And one more thing, disclosure is an inside job. I think the real disclosure is coming from the people having experiences, seeing things in the sky. You know, it's a people's movement, just like women's liberation, black liberation. Those were people, the government never said, oh, we're going to give rights to these people who don't have rights. It's a people's movement. We have to stand up for what we've seen, what we know, what we've experienced and come out vocally about that. People are still embarrassed because they've been shamed into not sharing their experience. They, it's, a, it's a shame foul. I'll be laughed at. And, you know, so that's, and there was actually a, a campaign by the Air Force to ridicule people and to publicly embarrass them if they have come out came out with the fact that they've seen UFOs. So I think that's shifting, but there's still a slight giggle factor, which is the programming of limited minds to to stop the truth from coming forward because they're embarrassed that they're the only ones. So 
we have to stop that. We have to grow up. You know, we have to not be afraid what other people think about us. It's so childish. It's like, what's your experience? Share it. Don't be afraid. Come out and tell us and change reality for yourself and others on the planet so we can really become part of a cosmic galactic civilization if they'll have us. <laughs> if, they'll, if they'll have us, exactly. Why do you think some people have positive experiences or neutral or, and then sometimes people have negative or even traumatic experiences with these beings? I think it has to do with how much, I mean, I, I may have had a negative traumatic experience, but you know, how much fear do we create when we have to overcome that? I mean, maybe there are negative experiences. It's true. People are taken in the middle of the night. Genetic information is taken from them. Then, like for me, I was given this little hybrid creature to hold. It's weird, but the more we can get used to the weird at whatever level exists, you know, in my book, I quote Rainer Maria Relke, who says, we have to have the courage to face the most unusual, most inexplicable situations that can confront us and embrace them. Because when we embrace the fear, which is not really threatening us, it's just threatening an old identity of who we are, then we have a chance to evolve. So people are traumatized because they think they are who they are. That's maybe my case. And it's so far out of our view of our, of possibilities that we have to stretch beyond what we know into something else. And sometimes people are met with very compassionate, loving beings. Some people are met by the grays, but what whoever you're met with, try to be as lucid and aware and less fearful than you can be. People have gone into their fear. They've come out the other side. Um, I think there's a book called Initiate by um, someone who was on one of the uh, USS aircraft carriers who had ET experiences. He had a lot of hard times. And then he came out the other side and said, this was for my evolution. So whatever it is, it's for our evolution. I mean, you could say that about anything, but this is really to expand who we are. If there's, if it's been traumatizing, then go into it and see what's there and discover the unknown country. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of this in your previous comment. When someone does have contact, what suggestions would you give them and how to handle that situation? That's a great question too. Thank you. Well, I would say first try to remember every aspect of that contact. Try to go beyond whatever emotions or fears come up. Look at it maybe as a big picture without disassociating. Find out, was there something positive in there? I mean, you could go to a dentist and have an awful time, but they do fix your filling, you know, you have a cavity. Um, so maybe this is not against us. Maybe somehow this is for us. And 
are you different? Are you, if you look at the uh, free survey, you know, the free survey, survey by the Edgar Mitchell Institute, Ray Hernandez, have you interviewed Ray? Jeff has. He said, you know, in the beginning, you know, 80% of the people thought their experiences were negative and fearful, but over the years, 95% of something like that number have said, no, this was a positive transformational experience in my life. I could say that about me and I don't even remember all of my contact, but it's put me down a path that I see in a way the only hope for human civilization is if we pursue the unknown and these beings and the intellectual, um, the intellectual capacities that need to come online in order to embrace this phenomena will be evolutionary. Let's just put it that way. Alan, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today. Are there any final thoughts you have, even though I know that this topic is ever evolving? <laughs> yeah, it is totally ever evolving. And I mean, my, my next book, Beyond Contact, will take us even further down the rabbit hole. Um, I want to know from you, Emmy, did anything connect here that maybe you hadn't thought of before? What was stimulated for you in this conversation? What was stimulated for me is I really like how it really is an evolution of who we are and that it's something that we can embrace versus, like you say, have the giggle factor or that we can, some people look at as unbelievable or harmful. It sounds like it really is, it has a lot of positivity to it. Of course, you mentioned that there are other types of ETs and maybe some of them aren't at a very high level. And maybe that's why some of the experiences aren't as comfortable for people. Right. But either way, there's something knocking on our door. We could say, go away. I don't want to answer it. Or you're something scary. Or we can open the door because it's here. The government has admitted hundreds of thousands of people have acknowledged it. Something is in our reality. So let's face it. Collectively, as a civilization, have the government pull out all the ships and bodies. Let's look at this. That's all I'm asking. Let's look at this as a collective whole, as a planetary civilization. What's going on here? Let's no more secrets. Let's roll it all out. Let's, you know, people said, oh, people will be prosecuted because they're with them. No, let's give amnesty if we have to. Let's get the secrets out in front of the world. If it means Shell Oil is going to lose their total fortune because there's no longer fossil fuel, well, that's the way of the horse and buggy. You know, that was one of the things that suppressed automobiles is what are we going to do with our horses? You know, we don't want those smelly, you know, machine cars, but yet evolution of civilization is where we're going to gain the most benefit for the totality of humanity. So if there's selfish, greedy corporate structures in place that don't want the free energy that these advanced technologies have, then we have to stand up and say, no, it is our right to live more peaceful, comfortable, um, enjoyable lives. And if we have free energy, that is part of the next level 
of our collective evolution. So we can really focus on the purpose of incarnation in the first place, which is to create more knowns out of the unknown. That's what I call the flowering of civilization. How do we make known the unknown? By dropping into the creative flow, stepping away from the matrix, being an individualized self in concert with the rest of humanity and giving back our gifts to be shared with, with other people that will uplift them and uplift us. So that's the potential I see not just from ETs, but for us when we grow up and realize who we are as infinite beings of creation. Alan, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today and all of your contributors in your book, the essays, all of those amazing people. I'm so grateful I get to speak with you again. We're going to be having at least one, if not more, conversations on New Thinking Aloud on this topic and exploring it more deeply. Thank you so much for being with me today. I just want to say thank you, Emmy, for being such an open-minded interviewer and, and being ready to hear, I'm sure you do all the time, thinking aloud means you're allowing thinking, which I appreciate. <laughs> but the fact that there is a positive possibility ready for humanity if we can embrace it. So I appreciate your openness and Jeffrey Mishers. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.